0: Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. Have you guys noticed that it's rained every weekend for the last seven weeks? Well, it's not raining yet, but I think it's going to rain and it's supposed to get cold. Are y'all scared of the cold? I got a a text message from Les Bombinard, who's our friend from Canada. Uh, They had six inches of snow the other day. Now, this is their fifth snow already I thank God for Texas, don't you guys? <laughs> awesome. Hey, guys, this weekend, this week, two, Thursday night, minute first, so don't miss that. And our birthday party is next weekend. So I hope you guys are planning on coming for a great celebration. Colin McFerrin, you're right there. Colin McFerrin, you won the dessert contest last year, did you not? you go going down. We're going to take you down. Don't be bringing that pumpkin cheesecake thing again. I know what's going on in your little mind. But Colin won the dessert contest, rightfully so. It was quite delicious. But uh, Papa Scott's been working on something. So we're going to give it a go. So that's this next weekend. You guys plan to be here. Take your Three Musketeer. Invite people to come. I told Tara this week, you know, I've been preaching a long time, y'all. I preached to Moses back in the day. But anyway. He didn't make any decisions. He was, Moses literally was a basket case. Uh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, back, back focus, box. So I told Terry I was more excited about this talk than I think of any talk that I've given in a, a long time because I really think that we need to just kind of untangle some things about who God is and what God does and how God works. So I'm really excited about talking to you guys this morning about the generosity and the grace and the love and the mercy of God. So, but I want you to look at this passage of scripture. Paul was writing to a church in Corinth and Corinth was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was a jacked up city. And Paul was writing to them, and he was saying, look, y'all, y'all got to get your stuff together. They were mean, contentious, gossiping, just all kinds of stuff. And Paul wrote a, a pretty two harsh letters to them. In fact, some theologians think it's three letters that's been mashed up into two. But anyway, he wrote this, and he was talking about generosity, and he was talking about a church in Macedonia, actually specifically a church in Philippi. Paul started a church in Philippi. and I get this. This was the start of the church in Philippi. He had a woman business person named Lydia. He had a slave girl who was demon possessed and he had a jailer. That's who started the church. That sounds like something that happened in Texas, right? So that's, that's how he started the church. But in there, and, and Paul was trying to take up an offering to help the starving Christians in Jerusalem. There was a famine and he was taking up an offering. And listen to what he says to the church in Corinth about the church in Philippi. Uh, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia, and that's Philippi. For in the severe test of affliction, now they were experiencing famine too, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowing in a wealth of generosity on their part. What? Their extreme poverty had sprung up an overflowing of generosity on their part. Y'all, I've been to places in the world where extreme poverty was normal and it was the most generous people I've ever met. Because something was going on in their life and their heart. And that something wasn't a something. It was a someone. And his name's King Jesus. He's moving in the depths of their life. For they gave according to their means. As I can testify and beyond their means. For of their own accord. They, I, they begging us early for their favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They said, let us do this. And this is not as we expected. Now, this is what jumped out at me. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. First, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. That jumps out. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Over the last five weeks, we've been talking about I will commitments. I will connect. I will worship. That's why we started. By saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I will connect to the body of Christ, and through Jesus Christ, and to the family of Christ, I will, I will grow to be like Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. I will serve God by serving others. I will faithfully share the love of God. We talked last week about God's peace plan. If you missed any of those, you could go online and listen to any of those talks. In fact, I'll remind you of our online resources in a moment. But today we're going to be talking about living a generous life, about literally giving your life away. Now, some of you, when I say generosity, you get jumpy. You think, oh, he's going he's to talk on money. It's time to line up the sheep and shear them. Fleece the flock. But y'all, I'm not going to talk to you about that. Yeah, money's a part of it. But I want to talk about your heart. Talk about the direction of your life. Talk about who you are and who God is working in you. And first, they gave themselves to the Lord. Do you know that, according to Warren Waresby, 15% of of Jesus' teaching was on generosity, 15%. He talked more about generosity than he did about heaven or hell combined. This was a matter that was on the heart of Jesus. Now, I wanna give you this thought. Here it is. It's gonna kind of encapsulate everything we talk about today. Because I have been, then I will. Because I have been, I will. And as I started working on this talk this week, and I've been thinking about it, Goodness, I planned this a year ago, y'all, that we would talk about this. I get to thinking about because I've been forgiven, certainly there are four gifts that I can make in my life. Because I've been given, forgiven, there's four things I can give. I can give love, I can give grace, I can give of my resources, and I can give my life away. So today I want to take you on that adventure. Because I have been, I will. And I will, because your commitments define your life, the commitment of your will will change not only you, but eternity. So let's go on this adventure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're gonna to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. That not be my words or my thoughts or even the pattern of my thinking, but Father, what you wanna share with these people today. And I pray that you'll speak to us in a supernatural, undeniable way. Thank you, and I pray this in your name, amen. We showed you a video at the beginning of this gathering about the three Gs, your God time, your group time, and your gathering time. I wanna remind you that. Our God time through this series has been the book, I Will. Now, next series, starting next week, we're gonna be talking about encounters with Jesus, and we'll provide for you readings for your personal time with God to help you with the encounters of Jesus. Also, we'll provide the next G, the group time, The group time is the deeper dive from this weekend talk. Talks more about who we are and what God wants us to do. And then the gathering times. These three environments, your God time, your group time, and your gathering time will build your life. Now listen to me very carefully. You will not experience the full benefits of this church or the life offered Jesus if you don't have a group. You need a group. You cannot practice the loving one another's, caring for one another's, encouraging one another's, unless you have some one another's to do it with. Christianity is a team endeavor. We are a family. It's not isolated believers. It's believers becoming one body for the global glory of God. So think through that and say, I need to get myself connected. Whether it's on Sunday morning, or one of our Sunday morning groups that meet on campus, or a group of guys, or a group of gals, or a group of couples, uh, a, a group of students, whether it's on your campus or wherever, make intentional connections. Now let's talk about the four G's. Of giving are the four gifts of giving because I've been forgiven. Here's the first thing because I have been loved, then I can love. Because I have been loved, I can love. Did you know God loves you? I have not met a person yet that I've asked that question. Did you know God loves you? People say, Yeah, I know God loves me. And we say, Well, how do you know? You say, Well, the Bible tells me so. But it's bigger, and it's gonna sound crazy, y'all. It's bigger than the Bible. God's love is bigger than the Bible. The Bible reveals to us God's love, but it's expressed to us through one another that God loves me. How long has he loved you? Before the creation of the world. He looked through the epoch of history and he saw you, he says, I'm gonna love them. I see Scott Weatherford down there. I'm gonna love him. He's my favorite. (laughs) God loves you. And he's loved you with an everlasting love. He's wooed you with tender kindness, it says in the book of Jeremiah, which could be said as a caveat statement for the people of Israel, but it's a universal statement for all of us, that God has loved you with an everlasting love. And that's awesome. You have, and you are greatly loved. And when you know you're greatly loved, it gives you great freedom. Look, this is what Jesus said in, in John uh, chapter three, verse 16. You guys have seen this passage, right? You see dude with the, the rainbow afro holding this up at football games. Um, Showing my age now. But listen, look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But listen to this. I can read it this way. For God so loved Scott that he gave his only son that Scott believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want you to read it. I want you to put your name in those blanks. Now don't say Scott because that ain't your name. Unless you're Scott Tidwell, then you could say Scott. Let's try it again. Y'all ready? Ready? You Aggies, we'll read it slow. Okay, here we go. For God so loved Scott that he gave his only son that Scott believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, how many of y'all said Scott when I said Scott? Yeah, you did. You wanna try it again? You wanna try it again? Use your name this time? Here we go. For God so loved that he gave his only son so that believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Good job, guys. Everybody raise your hand. Raise your hand, come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. Turn around, give yourself a pat on the back. Good job. Good job with that. All right, that's John 3.16. So we know that God loves us and we get that. But do you know what 1 John 3.16 says? 1 John 3.16 says this, but we know, but by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. That's Jesus. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Oh. I have been loved so I can be a lover. Now, don't be creepy, but I can be a lover. I can give love away. Huh. Is the church today known for love? Are we known for judgment and condemnation? and saying, you need to clean up your act. Are we known for love? Now, when you think about this, Love is a decision based on commitment. It's not a feeling. It brings strong feelings. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. When I said to Tara, hey, baby, I love you, I might have had ulterior motives. But the ultimate motive was to commit to her, to love her. Now, do I feel like I love Tara every second of every day? No. Does she feel like she loves me? She feels like killing me some days. But it's a decision, it's a decision based on commitment. After I've been your interim pastor for about three weeks, I said, hey guys, I want you to know I love you. This is what y'all said, too soon, too soon. But truly love is a decision based on commitment. I had no idea I was gonna be stuck with y'all and y'all stuck with me, I didn't know that. But it makes life rich when we know we're loved and we loved in return. Now here's three things I want you to consider about love. This is what love does, okay? Love is accepting. We hear a lot of people talk about uh, being tolerant. I don't want to be tolerated, I want to be accepted. Now, does that mean by accepting you, I have to accept all your craziness, all your sin, all your drama? No, it does not. You could keep crazy at the house, but I'm going to accept you. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you've become, you were loved. I'm going to accept you. What about sinners? That's all of us, y'all. Just some of your sins are more crazy than other sins, right? No, it's all sin. And God loves sinners. Paul said this, God loves sinners, and I'm the chief of sinners, Paul said. Now, if Paul were still alive, I'd give him a run for his money. And the truth is, acceptance is loving. It doesn't mean Tolerant. That doesn't mean accepting inappropriate behavior. You know what? I can accept you without accepting your behavior. But I accept you. The second thing love means, it means honor. This is something that really has just been gnawing on me. We live in a society right now, especially in our political climate, where there's just no civility and no honor. You will not hear a a politician say about their opponent, well, they're a very honorable person. We respect and they're dignified, but we have this difference of opinion and we respect their opinion, but this is the opinion that should be better. What if a politician do that? Nobody vote for him, right? Maybe you say, that guy's a sorry scoundrel, thieving, lying, cattle, thieving, horse, thieving, sack of stumping. Ooh. Whoop. <laughs> but should we honor each other? Love says we outdo one another. That's what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Excuse me, chapter 12, verse 10. That we outdo one another in showing honor. Huh. That I'm accepting, I'm honoring. I'm honoring. Even if you don't agree with me? Yeah. Because that's what love does. Love also means this. It means understanding. Understanding. It means understanding. And that really is a better word for it called empathy. I'm gonna put myself in your position and I'm gonna understand what you're going through and where you are and I'm gonna love you in the middle of that. It says this in 1 Peter 3, verse seven. Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. Ah. She is a co-heir of grace. Grace knowing that she is the weaker vessel. Do this so your prayers will not be hindered. You know what Paul, uh, Peter's saying there? If mom ain't happy, God ain't happy. I saw a sign in Cracker Barrel said this, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, and if papa ain't happy, nobody cares. <laughs> but understanding means this, that I'm going to empathize with you. Where do we get that, Jesus? What did Jesus do? He became flesh and dwelt among us. He showed us himself. There's no one understands like Jesus. No one understands the heartache and the hurt. He bore the world's sins on his shoulder. That means he put up with your drama on the cross. And he says, I want you to love like that. To accept, to honor, to understand. And you give that as a gift in a generous life that you love. In fact, Jesus made it a commandment. In John chapter 13, he says this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That you also are to love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Oh the way I was brought up said, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you don't smoke, drink, dance, or chew or go with women who do. It's legalism. But it's love that defines us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. If I learn to do this, the world changes. If you learn to do this, the world changes. Because there's no power greater than the love of God. Why? Because God is love. Wow. Here's the second gift. Because I've been given grace, that's the unmerited favor of God. Something that's not earned or deserved, I've been given grace, that I can give grace to you. Now, this is the hardest thing we as Christians do, is to give grace. Grace. We'd much prefer to give judgment because we're good at looking and going, yeah, yeah, I know about that. Instead of saying, you know, maybe you need some grace. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so no one can, may boast. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, because you are God's workmanship, you're God's masterpiece, that he saved you by his grace, the unmerited favor of God. Although grace has been lavished upon us, we as a church and as a people are notorious for not giving grace. There a conversation recently about a lady who was caught in sex trafficking, making her way, and someone says, you ought to go to the local church and let them help you. She goes, I would never go there because all they will do is judge me. What if we were known for our grace and not our judgment? Every one of us in this room are broken. Look at your neighbor right now and look him in the eye and say, you are broken. Isn't that true? And some of y'all will really enjoy you're, real, uh, you're really broken. You're a dumpster fire broken. I'm looking at you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but the truth is, God gives us grace in spite of our brokenness. Shouldn't we be known as a people of dispensing of grace instead of judgment? Did you know that grace is the cure for grumbling and gossip? When you give grace, you, start, you stop complaining and you start praising when you give grace, you start go- You stop gossiping and you start building up. Now, in the Christian world, we don't gossip, do we? It's prayer request. And we disguise it as, y'all just need to pray. Or we'll post something on Facebook that you know flat out is gossip, but you're going to post it and say, we're praying for y'all. Really? Really? I don't know what that was. I probably ought <laughs> never do that again. Come on, y'all. Now, get this, okay? Grumbling and gossip are the result of a broken, dysfunctional culture. They're not a result of God's grace and mercy. Whew. Who's guilty? All of us. So what do I need to do? I need to ask Jesus to give me the grace so I can dispense the grace that I become a sack full of grace, ready to ooze grace out on anyone who needs it. Now, some people, some people require extra grace. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody's normal till you get to know them. And then people are just weird. They're crazy as a pet raccoon in a sack. I mean, they're crazy. They're crazy. And they bring drama with them and they're, they're just hard. And, and when you see them at H-E-B, all of a sudden you're very interested in the contents of the mayonnaise jar. I see y'all leading the H-E-B aisles with them. I get it. Now you're saying, well, I don't know anybody in my life that needs extra grace because it's you that needs extra grace from other people. You are the crazy one. Now get this, this is something I've learned a long time ago. Do you know God sends difficult people into your life to make you more loving? Instead of, you should go, thank you, Jesus, that I've got this crazy person in my life. Now, it could be boundaries. There needs to be boundaries, appropriate boundaries. But we should never judge people. Y'all know people just love drama? You don't have to put it up with it. You don't have to put up with drama. You know what you permit is what you, what you get, And we create a culture of acceptance and of love and of understanding, full of grace. And we love people because sometimes EGRs turn from extra grace required to extra grace given because they've been rescued. Wow. Here's the next give, this third give. Because God provides for me, I can give them my resources do you know that what you have does not belong to you and it did not come from you? I earned that. No, you didn't. It's a gift from God. Listen to what James said. Um, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Paul said it this way, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. God is the one who supplies our needs. I graduated from seminary when I was 25. And I uh, was ordained as a pastor and went to serve my first church. It was in rural South Georgia, down at a First Baptist Church in Blackshear, Georgia, rural South Georgia. And I went down there and I started working. I was the minister of music, youth, education, bus driver and janitor. That was my job. And they gave us a house to live in, a parsonage. Everybody in the church had a key to the parsonage. Tara and I were laying in bed one Saturday morning. We were newly married. We were laying in bed together on Saturday morning. Somebody comes into the kitchen and said, don't mind us, we're just putting something in the kitchen. Tara and I did not have children while we were pastoring that church. Just wasn't safe, y'all. Anyway, that was too much information. I'm sorry. But I remember being 25 years old and facing this for the first time. It's not the last time, but the first time. And I was at a deacon's meeting, and actually two months into me being there, the senior pastor left and left me with it. I'm 25, I got this church, and the, believe it or not, the church went from 150 in attendance to 300 in attendance while I was in charge. And I was just the, you know, the hymn monkey. I was just the music guy. But God was working in that church, and, and, uh, and I remember we had a deacon's meeting, And and this is what the deacon said. Boy, you better do what we tell you, because we pay your salary. I remember 25 is what I did. I got up, I put my hands on the conference table, and I said, boys, you don't pay my salary. God pays my salary. I belong to the Lord. I do not belong to this church. And God pays. If you choose to fire me, God will provide for me. Those old South Georgia deacons, they pushed back and they grinned and said, we got us a live one here, don't we? <laughs> you know, God is the one who provides for us. Your boss does not own you. Your job does not own you. Guys, you will never get your significance from what you do. You will get your significance from whom you belong and you belong to King Jesus. And He's got a lot of cash. And he can take care of you. In fact, he owns the cattle on 10,000 hills of the hills on which they stand. I'll tell this real quick. I didn't tell it in the last two gatherings, but I'm going to tell it to y'all. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Tom, I believe that's where you went to school. Around the turn of the last century, they were about to close up. They were run out of money. They were having a board meeting deciding whether or not to shut down the school. A cattleman walked in the room and said, boys... I've just sold my cows at the stockyard in, in Fort Worth, and I brought an offering to give to the seminary, and it kept the doors open. And you know what those trustees said? The Lord sold some cows because He owned the cows on 10,000 hills and the hills of which He stands. I don't know if that's true or a preacher story. It came out of Southwestern. It's probably not true, but it makes a good preacher story. Just say it. Now, if it came out of New Orleans, we knew it'd be true. Yeah, of course. It's gospel. But God is the one who who supplies us. I can't outgive him. Everything I have belongs to him. Then I could be generous. I could be generous. You know, there were four things, four things that kept the Hebrew children out of the promised land. When they left Egypt and did the 40-year wandering. here's the four things. Idolatry, they worship other gods. Immorality, I don't need to explain that. Putting God to the test. Now, this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Putting God to the test. In other words, not believing God was gonna provide for them. And grumbling. Huh. Putting God to the test. In generosity, God says, test me on this one. You may not believe, and that's gonna make me mad. But on generosity, you go ahead and test me, and I'll show you. I'll show you how faithful I am. Listen to what he said to Malachi. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. What is a tithe? To the Hebrew people is the 10% of their income. They brought it three times a year. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a, down a blessing until there's no more need. Now through this system... There was a social justice system in the Hebrew people that people were cared for. They were fed, they were clothed, they were comforted, they were provided for. Did you know the the Roman historian Josephus said that in the early days of the church that the Christians had all but eradicated poverty in Jerusalem? And God says, test me on this. If this church practiced this, there would be no need in the Wimberley Valley. Now, I'm amazed at your generosity. And through the generosity of this church, listen to me, through the generosity of this church, the best count I can count, in the last seven weeks, you have positively influenced 75 churches in the last seven weeks. And there are more coming this week. Amber, who's my assistant, could tell you your head would spin about the people who want help. And the generosity of this church is overwhelming. Thank you, thank God. But you know what? We just begun. But now I want to ask you a question. What would you do in generosity for King Jesus and King Jesus' sake if you had an extra hundred bucks this week? Has somehow magically appeared an extra hundred dollars that you could just lavish on people? around you, people in need, somebody at H-E-B, somebody at the gas station, somebody at the street corner, somebody that you work with. What if you had that extra $100? What would you do for Jesus? What, would you, what generosity would you I want you to think about that. Because this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask my lovely assistants to come join me. And I have $1,500. And I want to give you an opportunity I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. Now, listen to this. We're going to give you an envelope with a $100 bill in it. And in there's instructions about what to do. Now, you could do anything you want to with this money. If you need it for you personally, you keep it and you take it. Here's the caveat. You got to share your story, how God used this to meet your need. Or you could take it and you could give it to meet someone else's need. That's what would be preferable. And we want to hear your story. There's an email uh, address in there. You can send an email to Amber. And she will, uh, she'll take that and she'll share your story with us. Because we want to make Jesus famous. Now, I know a lot of y'all think, well, that church, all there are is after my money. You can leave here today Said they gave out money this week. You tell the three musketeers, we'll have a bunch of people here next week. He's giving out cash. I feel like Oprah. And you get a car. And you get a car. And you get a car. So these girls, they each have five envelopes. And uh, this is Avery and, and Allie and my brain, Amber. And uh, they're going to pass out these. Om- now, if you're willing to take this challenge, just raise your hand and they're going to put this envelope in your hand. Okay, so go. See those hands. I feel like Billy Graham. I see those hands. I'll see. Them. Now, we may have more willing participants than we have money to distribute. And you're saying, okay, wait, 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 wait. I don't have any, I didn't get my money. You know what? You can take some of your cash and do this too. Did you know that? It may not be $100, it may be $10, maybe 5 It may be thousands. Now, before y'all get all like, I can't believe he's giving out the church's money. Here's the story. Two guys came to me this week. And they said, Pastor, the Lord has blessed us so we want to do something that's going to bless others. And they donated $3,000. They brought in, they came up with this idea and they donated, they said, this is what we want to do are you willing to do it? I laughed. And they said, what are you laughing for? I said, do you boys know what I'm preaching on this week? They go, no. I said, generosity. They go, really? I said, yeah. In fact, I was going to challenge our people, but I didn't have any cash to give them. So, well, you got some cash now. Listen to me. This was planned a year ago. And these two guys, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, met the need this week. So you're holding on to Jesus' money. Invest it for the kingdom of God. Invest it for the. Now, I've heard of churches doing this before, and this is what they've done. They said, now take this out and invest it and bring it back to the Lord. No, 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 no. Do the good that needs doing. Love the ones that need loving, because God has provided you with resources to be a blessing to others. And I can't wait to share the stories. Are you guys excited about hearing the stories? And this will change us as we learn to live a life of generosity. Now here's the last gift. Because Jesus gave his life for me, I can give my life all for Jesus. I wear a yellow bracelet. You guys probably have noticed it. Some of you wear it as well. It says all for Jesus. And that's not just a yellow bracelet that's kind of hip and cool because I'm not hip and cool. I got a bad hip and I'm usually hot. But this says, this is what my direction of my life is. We have some more of these. If you want one, we'll hook you up. But I can live all for Jesus because Jesus has given everything for me. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I can glorify God in my body. Listen to what Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is by faith, not even the flesh, is by, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because I have been loved, I can love. Because I've been given grace, I can be a dispenser of grace. Because I've been provided for, I can provide for others. And because Jesus gave his life for me, I can give my life back to him and live all for Jesus. So it's not about me. Life is not about me. My life is not mine. It belongs to God. Paul said it this way. When Christ who is our life appears, then we will reign with him. And when Christ so encompasses my life that I live for all for him, I could take my sticker, mine's got communion juice on it, and I could say, I will. I will live a generous life. Can you join me in that commitment? Can you take your sticker and say, I will? And I will live all for Jesus. Why? Because I have been, then I will.